Hey everyone, welcome to the 10th episode of the NISA podcast, The Unmentionables. I'm Mia Clark, co-founder of NISA, a new women's wellbeing company dedicated to supporting parents through their fourth trimester recovery journeys. In each episode, we interview either an expert working in the field or we share parents' first-hand stories and we uncover some of those unmentionables that many of us experience postpartum but we don't necessarily talk about. This is a place to share information, resources and real stories so we can help shine a light on what really goes down because we can promise you that whatever shape your fourth trimester experience takes, you're not alone. We have a great guest today, UK wellness expert Madeline Shaw. Before we dive into our chat, I wanted to remind listeners in Chicago that we're throwing a free postpartum party at The Hideout on Sunday, October 27th from 3pm to 5.30pm. It's open to all expecting parents and parents of babies and young children in general, and we'll have an expert panel featuring an OBGYN, a doula and a mental health professional speaking about all things related to the fourth trimester. There's also going to be a prize raffle, activities and delicious spritzes from our friends at Apolog. So come on down. It's free, but we would love if you could please RSVP to let us know that you're coming. The invite link is in our Instagram profile at NisaCare, or you can search Nisa's first postpartum party on Eventbrite. We'll also have all sizes of our fourth wear underwear available for sale and as a prize in the raffle. And it's a perfect gift for anyone that's pregnant or postpartum. So consider picking up a pair. And if you're not in Chicago and are interested in purchasing fourth wear, you can do so on our website site nisacare.com. Remember to use the code podcast for 10% off. Our guest today is the British nutritional health coach, yoga teacher and wellness expert Madeline Shaw. She's known for her excellent recipes and food plans, which you can access on her self-titled blog. And she's the author of three excellent cookbooks, Get the Glow, Ready Steady Glow and A Year of Beautiful Eating. We started by talking about Madeline's journey to becoming a mother, what it was like being the first of her friend group to have a baby and her experience of her shifting identity as a new mum. So I have a little boy who turned two a few months ago, um, and yeah, his name is Seamus, which is after his great-grandfather, uh, who's oh. Irish. It's a, it's a name that not many people have heard of, but if you're Irish, you know it. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, and I became a mother a bit earlier than most of my friends. Um, in London, I think people become mothers a bit later in life, mm-hmm. and was because I actually became pregnant by accident and then sadly miscarried at 12 weeks. And oh, okay, I'm sorry. I think because of that, having kind of gone through that and having the hormones of pregnancy within me and, you know, had kind of accepted that I was becoming a mum and then it was taken away from me, it really kind of plotted the seed for becoming a mother very much in my mind and then very luckily I did fall pregnant again afterwards quite easily and yeah I mean I really loved being pregnant I had quite a tough few months I had really bad nausea and I vomited everywhere from Ubers to (laughs) people's houses on the streets kind of any kind of form of travel really triggered it and one time I was in a restaurant and I project I vomited into my place of food. Oh. <laughs> so oh. there was a lot of vomit, which is good to get used to before your baby arrives. Um yes. and then after that I had a really lovely pregnancy and I was really lucky to kind of not have any other uh difficult symptoms and I had a really lovely birth. Um 
I was a bit nervous before. I had quite a big bump and my doctor was like, he's going to be 10 pounds. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh no. <laughs> but I was I the just, same thing, yeah. Yeah, but he was actually only 7 pounds and I had a really lovely natural delivery. And um, yeah, I just I had a really great birth. Um, the beginning for me, similar to my pregnancy, the beginning of um, being a mother was quite difficult. She had really bad reflux, which anyone who's had a child with reflux will know is just such a difficult stage and feels like it's never ending, but does kind of come to an end at some point. Mm. And then after that, I feel like it has been quite plain sailing and I really, really enjoy being a mother. And I feel like every day gets better, especially at this, like, stage where he's talking and interacting and I feel like we're forming this very special kind of relationship and yeah it makes me very happy. Yeah I love that and also I think um, you know if you can do something like that before you even have the baby right and sort of pre-prepare some stuff so that especially you know in that first week which is so crazy um, and surreal you know you have something there for you like right from the get-go, what would you recommend as a great, um, a great you know, dish or whatever for somebody to bring over to, um, you know, a friend or family member who's just given birth? Because I remember that, uh, for me, you know, I'm really grateful that people were, were bringing things, but they were often um, things like cookies and cakes and things like that. And I actually just <laughs> crave, like, a really simple fruit salad or something, like, healthy. Um, so, yeah, do you have any sort of tips for, like, what might be a good um, a good dish for somebody to bring over? I think something that's, like, one pot. It's got, you know, everything in it, whether that's, yeah, like, a chicken stew or a chickpea and aubergine curry or um, a really nice soup or something, but something that, like, you don't need to then put three more things in to make it, mm-hmm. you know, complete. So, like, a sort of nice complete meal that, you know, you just need to reheat. So I think it doesn't matter, but like you said, obviously cookies and cakes are lovely, but, you know, to kind of make you feel full and satisfied, and I think breastfeeding I've never felt the hunger more hungry in my life than when my milk came in and you do need a lot of food to satisfy your hunger so like you know really lovely nutrient dense like proper meals are just going to satisfy you so much more yeah yeah absolutely um and aside from nutrition what other strategies would you recommend for new mothers who are you know trying to feel their best selves while also caring for a newborn so I know you know that you meditate a lot and so that can obviously be hard you know when you have um, a newborn so do you have any suggestions for other ways that parents can recharge even if it's just in short bursts so yeah I always like to look at things in like three pillars so yeah like move munch meditate I call them so like your munch is kind of your nutrition or your eating and then obviously so that's important but then also movement and then your mindset, your kind of mental health. So with movement, you know, do as much as you can. Some people feel great after birth. Some people feel like they just want to lie in bed for a long time. So listen to your body. And obviously there's that kind of six-week mark of any kind of strenuous exercise. But 
I think you feel so much better if you go out for a walk with your baby, you know, even if you do it twice a day. Yeah. Um, it's so good for your baby to have the fresh air, but it's also so good for you to not feel cooped up in the house. Um, you know, obviously it boosts endorphins, walking, it helps you get stronger, it helps your body heal. Um, and it's a nice kind of gentle exercise that you can do wherever you are and whoever you are. Yeah. Uh, and then... With the kind of mindset, mental health, I think it's really important to not um, not disregard your mental health at that moment in time. Obviously, you're happy you've become a mother and hopefully, you know, it was uh, a great experience. But, you know, whether it's recovering from traumatic birth, whether it's postnatal depression, you know, it's just baby blues, like, we all feel it, change of identity, you know, maybe not working if work was really important to you or having time off it, you know, everyone's got their own story. Um, and I think it's really important to, you know, really acknowledge the fact that actually there's going to be a huge mental shift for you mm-hmm. from being you to being mum. And I think, you know, like you said, meditation for me is is amazing and it really works for me. It doesn't work for everyone and I think that it's about finding your toolbox. So writing down five things, say, that make you feel happy, make you feel calm, make you feel de-stressed, you know, whether it's walking in nature, whether it's drawing, whether it's reading, whether it's, you know, catching up with girlfriends, whether it's having a bath, whatever those things are, just write them down and make sure that you're doing them every day if not every other day um because it is really important to be for you know boosting your happiness and we give and give and give to our children and that's naturally a mother's instinct and so important that we do because they need us you know they, they really do but um it is also so important that you recharge and i think that that is you know, otherwise we end up burning ourselves out. Um, and, you know, sleep is such a difficult thing at the beginning, but if you can prioritise it by, for example, going to bed early rather than trying to stay up and watch Netflix with your other half because you want that normality, mm-hmm. there will be time for you to get back into that swing of things that, like, that the beginning few months is the time to just take the respite to every moment that you can. Yeah, I love that. And I think it's important too um, that, you know, if you have a partner, that they really understand that and are supportive and that they make that time for you to, you know, say, I know that you need to just go out for, you know, even a half an hour walk, like, you know, is really helpful for you. Like, I'm going to take the baby while you do that, I think. Is you know really important to to get that um, support. Um, so yeah, I was wondering what um, other suggestions might you have? You know, if somebody um, you know has a partner, or if that support's coming from family and friends, what are some ways that they can really help uh, support somebody during that postpartum period? Like, how can they be most helpful? I think yeah, it just really depends on the person what they need. Mm-hmm. Like you said, some people need space alone for a walk some people need to go have their nails done you know like we're all very very different so I think it's understanding that person it's having that conversation of like 
how can I best serve you or how can I help you? Or maybe if they're saying no, just going and doing it, you know, I booked this. Um, I think, you know, once the mother and partner feel comfortable, you know, doing a babysitting night, like we went on a date night, I can't remember, three weeks in, and it felt mm-hmm. so weird. Honestly, I was like, <laughs> something feels like it's missing. But it was so nice to be like, oh, yeah, I remember you. Right. <laughs> I love you. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that this was really fun. And, you know, I do think, like, having those moments of remembering why you love each other because it can be difficult when you are number one on each other's priority list and then you go down to kind of number 27. Right. And, you know, if you can, obviously that can be a luxury. And, you know, I live very close to both my parents and my brother and my sister. Oh, Um, So, you know, I'm in a very fortunate position to have a lot of family very close by. Um, But, you know, if you don't, maybe it's a friend that you ask to babysit. But I do think having little date nights, if you feel up for it, are very magical. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, you know, sort of doing that... um, you know, as early as, you know, it is possible um, is great because, you know, I know it's very easy to kind of keep pushing that off and then you realize you haven't gone on a date for 10 months, <laughs> you know. So, <laughs> yeah, doing that earlier. Um, well, I'd love to know a little bit more about your postpartum recovery experience um, to whatever extent you'd like to share it. What did you find helpful for your personal, physical, and emotional recovery? Um, so... What did I find helpful? So I think the thing, I had a lot of milk. So a woman who came over who helped me with, like, teach me to breastfeed well, told me that I, if I was a cow, I would be a Jersey cow. I had this, like, <laughs> yellow, like, it was bright yellow, like, thick, creamy, like, milk, and it just spat out. And I know for some people who have a lot of milk, they're probably, like, Damn you women. But actually oversupply is very difficult as well because it would cause my son a lot of pain because it would come out really fast and he would choke on it. Mm. And then I the other one would go, even though it wasn't being sucked on the other side, and then he'd be drenched on the other side, even sometimes when I had pads on. So right. <laughs> always quite difficult and I had to try lots of different things and nipple shields really helped me um, kind of reduce the flow coming out and you know make it a little bit of a um, easier thing and obviously it was less painful because he wasn't sucking on my nipple as much mm-hmm. um, so that definitely helped a lot in kind of post um, recovery as I said I had a, I had a good birth um, so I didn't you know have many issues and I healed very easily um, but I did use the ice pack um, which was uh-huh. great apart from one day I came home and my boyfriend was lying on the sofa with the ice pack on his eyes and I was like <laughs> what are the ice packs for and he was like what I was like um <laughs> obviously I wiped it but he was like oh sorry. that's amazing <laughs> he's like oh I've had such a hard day I'm like did you did you really have a hard day? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think uh, communication was really important in my post 
between me and my boyfriend just kind of like I found that I resented him quite a lot because he was sleeping through the night and not waking mm. and the crying and I think having that like having the courage to like have that conversation and be like I am resenting you for this and not bottling it up I think was very key for my sort of recovery because I was obviously knew I wanted us to be getting on because the last thing I wanted was like to have that as part of everything that was going on but sure. I think kind of just having that like dialogue of like I'm really struggling with this can you help me with this and even if you're sleeping through the night can you do the morning or whatever and I think a lot of the time we can often say like oh I'll just do it because I'll do it better than you but actually I think having that like communication and that like you know, asking for help and and receiving it, even if it's not done perfectly, is really important. Uh, what else has given me? Yeah, the sort of the date nights. Um, and just really getting getting outside and walking, I think, was really key for me, just to feel like my day had a little bit of routine and I saw the daylight and... You know, even if it was that suddenly in the middle of the park I had to start breastfeeding, <laughs> you know, right. it was fine. But I think I just I had to have a little bit of sort of movement in my day. And I don't know, like reflecting back on it now, sort of, you know, two years later, I feel like I made it out to probably worse than it was. But I think I was just so overwhelmed with like, the love I felt for someone, the the sort of fear of like, oh my God, I'm in charge of their life, um, mm-hmm. the change in my routine, but actually I reckon because we become so adaptable as mothers and we learn new skills and we become faster and we can take on so much that I sometimes think back and go, God, I would, you know, hopefully we have another child again. I would know that I'll go in with such a different mental attitude and ability, I think, to to roll with it yeah yeah I love that I think you know it's so um you learn so much that first time you know that you become become a mother you know you don't know what you don't know so I think it's, you know <laughs> if, if if one you know chooses to have you know a second child or, or, or more children um you know just being able to have that perspective is amazing um and so helpful but really want to you know, part of what we're doing with Nisa is, you know, we really just want to normalize those things that, that happen um, for so many first-time mothers that people just don't really, really talk about. And I love that point that you made um, about asking, you know, one's um, partner to help and then receiving it, because I think sometimes um, it's really important to give them space. That, you know, they're a parent too. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I think it's really important that, um, you know that mothers give space to their, you know, the non-birthing parent um, to find their sense of autonomy and how they care um, for their child. Um, so yeah, I love love that trying to do that as much as possible. Um, I think it's really important. So last question: This podcast is called the Unmentionables, and that's because we really want to spotlight, you know, some of those topics that people don't talk about enough as it relates to postpartum. Um, so I'm wondering, is there like a particular topic uh, that you would like to see discussed more openly as it relates to physical, emotional, relational recoveries after birth? What do you feel is still sort of under wraps that needs to 
really get a bit more airtime? Good question. God, I feel like so many things. I think kind of the amount of blood that comes out of you afterwards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For me, like, I generally thought, like, something was wrong with me because I I was bleeding for so long um, and, you know, having to wear these such thick pads for such a long time, I just couldn't believe how much blood was coming out of me. And I, I know that people said, oh, you need to buy pads, but I feel like no one quite went into the amount of, you know, sort of blood that came out of it. Yeah. Um, I think that would be one. And then what else does it get talked about? I think, I mean, I'm, I'm sure probably other people have maybe talked about this, and it is a topic that seems to be looming, but just the difficulty it is to to find work that sort of balances with it and I with muscles and I feel very lucky to work for myself but I don't really know how I would have done it have I you know had to go into an office job and I really feel for women and I just feel like there is such a unequalness to it and not enough to prepare people or enough education of like how to manage it or like what other options people have that could potentially work with it because I just feel like you know you've got these options of like you pay huge amounts for childcare or you don't end up working or you kind of muddle through with a bit of both and sometimes you you don't get a choice in those options and I I wish there was a little bit more like support help you know a movement towards making that a bit easier um i don't know i feel like i could go on <laughs> well madeline thank you so much for making time to to talk about all of this really appreciate it oh thank you so much for having me I loved Madeline's tips for easy postpartum snacks and little ways to take care of yourself during the fourth trimester and the importance of sharing the load with your partner if you have one or tapping into the help from family and friends. So I hope you enjoy the interview. We like to end each episode of The Unmentionables by hearing from you guys, our listeners. I'm joined in the studio by Aubrey from Nisa. Hi guys, this is Aubrey and we have an email today that we'd like to share with you. Um, Hi Nisa. Love your podcast. I'm about to go back to work full-time after spending three months with my new daughter, and I feel so guilty leaving her. She's still so tiny, and I'm worried about her being in daycare and having a strain on our bond, which feels so precious right now. Did you guys go back to work right away? Did you feel guilty about being away from your babies? Thanks, Joanna. First of all, Joanna, thank you so much for sharing um, your fears and current experience. Um, To speak for myself, I'll say that I was particularly lucky. We had an opportunity to sort of, uh, my partner and I had an opportunity to set up our lives so that we were both working from home um, when our baby arrived. However, that presented a lot of its own problems, including not having a reason to get out of sweatpants and not having a reason to go on a date or really spend quality time together with my partner. And when I did go back to work at a physically different location about four months after my child was born, um, I would race home at a million miles an hour because I felt like I would be missing something important. And I feel like nine to fives can be particularly hard because you're um, getting back home when it's sort of the witching hour and your kid can be a little grumpy and, and tired and ready to go to bed. But 
I will say that after I kind of pushed through that, I began to um, sort of get the things in my life that I really did need and didn't recognize that I needed. Um, Time to have adult conversations that weren't about poop or throwing up or (laughs) something of that nature. And truly just, you know, a little sense of freedom to be more of myself and less of um, this, you know, idea of a mother that I had built up in my head. Um, So I'll go ahead and pass this over to Mia because I know that she also had her own experiences going back to work. So I didn't really feel guilty when I went back to work. I knew that I was going to work to provide for my daughter and give my family health insurance. And I always felt pretty good about working, although 12 weeks was way too early for me. And it I, it is for most people, in my opinion. I certainly didn't feel emotionally or physically ready to be at the office full time after 12 weeks, but I didn't feel guilty. And I think that this notion of mum guilt is very real and pervasive. And frankly, I think it's a patriarchal construct. We never talk about dad guilt. And I'd encourage listeners to check out Lauren Smith Brody's book, The Fifth Trimester, which is all about going back to work. And she was also an early guest on The Unmentionables. So definitely check out her episode as well. And I once read something that she wrote that really stuck with me. She said that instead of asking how to assuage mum guilt, we should reframe the narrative. The better question, a better use of our emotional energy as mothers, she writes, is this. How do we change those circumstances to help new parents feel supported so they can make compromises they feel comfortable with? And I think that's where we really need to start this conversation. That is so powerful. I feel like there are so many conversations that uh, would be helpful to reframe uh, similarly. Um, So thank you guys for listening to the Unmentionables podcast. Just a little reminder that we're not medical professionals, just three new mothers seeking to change the postpartum conversation. Please, if you have a question um, or a postpartum story or really anything you'd like to share, uh, give us a call at 336-HI-NISA and leave a voicemail. You can also contact us directly through our website at nisacare.com slash the unmentionables or just email us at hello nisacare.com. We love hearing from you guys. We love uh, reading your stories and your comments. So look forward to hearing more. Thank you so much for listening. Okay, that's it for today. As always, we would love if you could please take a few minutes to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Every little piece of feedback really helps. Also, please follow us on Instagram. We're at Nisa Care, where we share stories and information about the unmentionables of the fourth trimester and parenthood. So we can't wait to see you there. The Nisa Podcast is recorded at Strange Magic Recording, produced and edited by Robbie Haynes and Tony Lazara. The theme music is by Electrolyte.